this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. It says this, you my brothers, would you read it with me? You my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. In the New King James Version, I'll just read to you this one line. It says, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Like, I'm free now. I'm free in the Lord now. Don't use it as an opportunity in the flesh. Uh, New Living Translation says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Notice, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Lord, I pray today as we talk about what our freedom and the purpose of our freedom, I pray today what our freedom's for. I pray, Lord, that you'd custom tailor this to each one of us. I know that this could be the most powerful and insightful message to free our lives of anything today. And I pray today, Lord, that you'd uh, help us to see what real freedom's about in Jesus' name. And we all said amen today. Our freedom, look at this verse, we read it. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather use your freedom to, to serve one another humbly in love. Well, why did God free you? Did did he free you so that you could say, well, I could do whatever I want. No, use your freedom for the right purpose. Our freedom is to serve one another. Our freedom is not to serve ourselves. Our freedom in Christ is not to indulge ourselves and to make ourselves like, like now I can just, hey, I'm free. Whoa, I'm free. I'm liberated. You know, like the the whole movement where they they just kind of, whatever, I can do whatever I want. Well, you can, but all things aren't helpful. The reason for freedom is to be a servant to other people. The reason for freedom is to love one another. Our freedom is to serve others. I was reading a little while back a definition of freedom, and let me just read this to you. I don't know if it's on the screens or not, but it says this. Freedom is, try to catch this, freedom is the state that emerges after God has acted to remove all hindrances social, spiritual, sin and death, economic, and institutional that black our creational purpose. This purpose is to know, love, worship, and enjoy God forever. This is a freedom that has been won for us by the death and resurrection of the Messiah. Listen to this. By the power of the Spirit, the Christian seeks to live into this freedom and join with God in freeing others while we await freedom's full realization at Christ's second coming. Isn't that powerful? The reason we have freedom is not just to be free, but it's to partner with the Lord in getting other people free. Somebody say amen. In fact, if we don't have that mindset, it's so easy to slip back into bondage. 
Because it, it, there was a, I think it says in the New International Version, and I remember hearing it in a song one time, and I thought, that's weird. It said, like, it was for freedom that Christ made us free. The, you know, it was for freedom. And I thought, what, what the heck does that mean? It was for freedom that Christ made us free. I think he was saying, he freed you so that you'd be free. He didn't free you so you'd get back into bondage. See, because we as people tend to, if we're used to control, if we're used to being controlled, then our tendency is to get out of the control of one thing and get into the control of something else. Out of the control of money and into the, uh, out of the control of money and into the control of a substance or out of the control of a substance and into the control of money. Out of the control of one relationship and then get divorced and get into the control of another one right? See, that, that's the tendency that we have. But he's saying, your freedom wasn't to get you back in bondage. Your freedom was to get you to where you now have purpose to free someone else. Somebody say amen today. Oftentimes we become free of one thing only to seek the control of something else. Out of being a slacker, a loser, so to speak, in life, to where now you're a control freak. Everything's right, and you have everything right, and everybody else has got to be. Well, one is a bondage of lackadaisical, and another is the bondage of, of control. Amen. You know, in fact, we jump out of the frying pan <laughs> into the fire. You've heard the saying, right? You jump out of one thing into another thing. Out of the bondage of sin into the freedom of serving self. Out of the bondage of sin into the bondage of religious self-justification, right? I'm sinning, I'm doing whatever I want to do into now I have it all right and I have all my check boxes so that's why I'm redeemed. See, they're both bondage. They're both, perfectionism can be bondage. And, and just letting go and, 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 and lasciviousness can be bondage and perfectionism can be bondage. Jumping out of one into the other. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 where he starts this chapter, it actually says, Stand fast, therefore. In fact, read this with me. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And then he goes on to say, don't let someone talk you into being going and being circumcised if you weren't circumcised. Go keeping this rule in order to be justified. And he goes on and said, "You attempt to be justified by the law, but you've fallen from grace." See, out of one bondage into another bondage. Have you ever seen Christians do it? Have you ever done it yourself? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I've done it myself. Jumped out of one thing into the other thing. Why? Because controlled people. Get used to control. And they're looking for the control and the dominance of something else. And sometimes people go, that's not me. Well, your, your thing may be pride then. Because if you don't recognize it in yourself. There's a reason why he says stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. You attempt to be justified by the law and you've fallen by grace. Also, he's saying don't jump back into serving yourself. Because yourself can be a control, serving yourself. Our freedom, would you say it with me? Our freedom is to serve others. And I would go so far to say, if you don't find the joy of serving others, you'll slip back into the bondage of self. 
Our joy is to serve others. See, freedom has a twofold working of freedom. There's freedom from and there's freedom to. When God brought the children of Israel, he brought them out of Egypt but into Canaan. And if we only get freedom from something but we're not free to something, the tendency will be to slip back into the thing that we were bound with. See, if the Israelites, when they became free from Egypt and they started walking around the wilderness these 40 years and they started complaining, what did they eventually say? Let's just go back. And that's what happens. If we don't find the freedom of serving someone else, we'll end up going back and slipping back into the bondage of serving self or someone else in bondage. It has a twofold purpose. Our freedom is to serve others. There's also, it's also important to know that we have to, in order to gain freedom from something, you have to separate yourself from the old. You can't stick with the old and really find the joy of the new. Some people say, well, I haven't really found the new yet in my life. Well, but you haven't separated from the old yet. You kind of have one foot in the world and one foot with the Lord. And you're trying to find, well, I'm trying to see if God's worth it, quite honestly. I'm trying to see if this new journey is worth it. But you can't ever find the fulfillment of the new without drawing a line in the sand and separating from the old. We won't experience the joy of the new without the separation of the old. Remember, Jesus said no one can serve two masters. He didn't say no one should. He said no one could. If you're serving self, if you're serving money, if you're serving your job, if you're serving your this or your that or whatever it is, if you're serving that, then you can't find the joy in serving the Lord. He said no one can serve Two masters, because you adhere to one. Remember when Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, he went up to his disciples and he called them. And then the Bible says that they forsook all. Luke chapter 5 verse 11 says, they forsook all and followed him. He didn't call them and say, hey, if you want to come along, I'm about to start something that's really cool. And it's going to be written up in this book called the Bible. And I am the son of God. And if take it or leave it. No, no. He walked in and said, follow me. And then Jesus started walking. Jesus didn't say, I'll follow you. See, because sometimes we want to live in the life of saying, would you hold me accountable? Jesus didn't hold them accountable. They, Jesus walked. Jesus walked and said, follow me, right? In fact, Peter actually in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, Peter comments back to Jesus and he said, Jesus, we left everything. See, in order to get the fulfillment of being a disciple, they had to leave something behind. In order to get the fulfillment of living the life the Lord wants us to and truly be free, you have to to leave the past in the past. Marriage, the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother. Some people want the fulfillment of marriage, but they can't leave mom and dad behind. They can't leave their past relationship behind. They can't leave the the memories behind. They can't leave what, what they used to struggle with behind. But the Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. Some people don't want to leave singlehood, and they get into marriage, and they're wondering what's, they don't want to leave the friends and the nights out and the, the time with the guys or the time with the girls. And here's the reality. If you want the joy of marriage, you have to separate from the, what you'd consider the joy of singleness. 
See, we have to leave one thing to get something else. Jesus has freed us for a purpose. And I want to tell you this morning, and I believe that that purpose is to love and to serve other people. And if we don't step into that, if we can't cut off self and begin to love and serve other people, we'll never find the new joy and freedom that the Lord has called us to. The best way to stay free from self is by serving others. I believe the best way to stay free from serving self is to begin to have a heart to serve others. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about having an all-in culture about serving one another. Having an all-in culture. Can you say the words all-in? I've been talking about uh, some culture elements actually the last four weeks. Uh, the first one was about humility. The second one was about love. The third one was about joy. And the fourth one was about presence. And today, uh, the last one is about all in, all in. Um, in fact, every single one, I've had people come in and go, uh, Pastor David, that is the most important one. Do you know why they said that? Because culture is you. It's not your goals. It's not something that you get done. It's who you are. It's who you sleep with at night. That's yourself. It's who you wake up with in the morning. Your culture is you. Our culture in church is who we are. It's not who we want to be. It's who we are. So we're talking about the culture of the kingdom. And one of the cultures of God's kingdom and God's church is an all-in culture. Can you say all-in culture? In other words, don't halfway do it. Thank you. Don't halfway do it. But you got to go all the way with it. That's the way we are as a church, amen? We're an all-in culture. That's who we are. That's why I love this church. That's why I'm going to keep coming. Yeah, I like this. I love this church. Why? Because we're an all-in culture. We're an all-in culture. I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, Jesus, right before he was going to leave his disciples, he said to the church, now I'm talking about a church that had all-in culture. He said to the church, uh, really to these disciples, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world. That took something for him to do. But then Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, he said, tarry or sit down and wait in Jerusalem. He said, until you are endued with power from on high. And the same writer that wrote the book of Luke, which was Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts, he told him in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he said, huh, he commanded them to wait for the promise of the Spirit until they were endued with power from on high. So I'm thinking, now were they supposed to go or were they supposed to wait? Because Jesus told them, and some of the writers said, go into all the world. And Jesus said, before you go, wait. Well, see, they had some stoplights and some go lights. And if they weren't all in, how did they all do it? In fact, Jesus didn't just tell them to wait. He told them to all wait. Can you imagine trying to get 120 people or however many right there? But I know in the upper room, there are 120 people. Can you imagine trying to get 120 people to all wait for 50 days in one room and to all come back for 50 days? I, I think, honestly, if we really thought about it, that's the miracle. It wasn't even Acts chapter 2. It was Acts chapter 1. Trying to get the church to even show up for 50 days in a row. It's hard to get people to show up for three weeks in a row at church. Much less 50 days in a row. But why, why did they do it? They had an all-in culture. They actually believed that the Lord was saying this is what we're supposed to do. And they did it. That's why I'm glad. That's what kind of church we are. Somebody say Amen. 
They were an all-in culture. Jesus said, go, but then Jesus said, wait. And he said, uh, I want you to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what did they do? They all wait. The disciples obeyed Jesus for 50 days in a row. They showed up. And it's not only a miracle that they showed up for 50 days, but it says that they were all in one accord in one place. Like they actually still liked one another after 50 days. They're not like, dude, you smell. I said, put on deodorant. I'm sitting right by you, man. Or would you quit talking to me? It's early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, right? No, the Bible says they were all in one accord in one place for 50 days. In fact, let's look at this, Acts chapter 2. This is an all-in culture. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. How many came together? All of them. How long did they do it? Every day. And they were all in one accord. And they were all in one place. And they were praying. And they were praising the Lord. And what happened? The Holy Spirit filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon some of them. Is that what it says? One sat upon each of them. So notice the Holy Spirit didn't only fill the whole room and everyone was affected, but he also sat on each of them. See, all in culture produces all in results. And sometimes we want the all in results of the book of Acts, but want to sample the culture. Well, what, what that is, that really doesn't apply to me because, see, I have my ministry and my thing and I have my this and I have my that. I have my such and such going on. So all in results come from all in action. Well, let me ask you a question. What if, what if they had not waited for 50 days? What would have happened? Do you think the Holy Spirit would have, this, they would have still got the result? Let me ask you this question. What if they had all not waited for 50 days? Would they, would those, all the people in the upper room still have got the results? No. So you only get the results when you have the all in culture. That's just a simple thing that Jesus told him to wait for. He didn't even tell him 50 days. He just said, wait for the promise of the spirit. Could have been a hundred days. Could have been 500 days, but it just happened to be on day 50. God's kingdom and agenda has never been subject to our schedules. God's kingdom and agenda has never been subject to your schedule. Jesus never walked up to someone and said, follow me if you have time. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of things going on. I know you got a job. What time do you work? What are you no, Jesus just said, follow me. Why? Because he considered the kingdom agenda the most important thing. Jesus didn't tell the disciples even when he was leaving, hey, wait for the promise of the Spirit if you have time. I know you guys have been with me for three years. You've been investing a lot. You have a lot going on. You probably have your own ministries and things that you know now now that you've been with me and all this stuff. But, you know, it would really help you if you'd take the next little bit. and do. See, that's what we do as ministers today is we apologize because we want to fill the pews. We apologize when we say, we know the Lord's saying something, because we, we, we know that people won't do it, and they'll just go to another church. So we don't want to say what to do. I don't want to offend anybody. So, so we say something like this. Hey, Tuesday night, we have sisterhood and brotherhood. Guys, if you, I know you have a lot going on. And I could only imagine the Lord saying, why don't you just get up and say, come Tuesday? 
Because people are afraid to even say that anymore. Why? Because everybody has their own agenda. How in the book, do you think it was more important in the book of Acts? Well, I know that it was a revolutionary event that we all look back on, but I know that the Lord says things to the church and people don't listen. And, and then people say, well, I just have something else. I have something else going on. And I say, well, let me ask you this question. Did the Lord call you here? <laughs> well, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. <laughs> well, but did the Lord call you here? Okay, then you're part of the church. So do, here's what I would say. Do everything you can do to be a part of the church. And if, and if he hasn't called you here, go somewhere else that you can be a part of the church. Why? Because the point is not just to build a body. The point is unity. It's called the culture of all in. It's a culture. It's a culture you see in the kingdom of God. And I thank God that we have that culture at Memphis Tabernacle. Somebody say amen. We have that culture. God's kingdom agenda didn't wait on anybody. He said, wait, and they waited, and the promise came. I want you to notice also, though, after the promise came, you would think they said, okay, ready, break. And then they say, now let's go into all the world. Well, no, we go back and we read in Acts chapter 2, after all this happened, the Bible says, in fact, look at this, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Then fear came upon every soul. What do they mean, Then. When? After they continued. You know, Pastor, it's, it's just kind of inconvenient, though. It's just inconvenient. <laughs> you think it was inconvenient in the book of Acts? They had been waiting for 50 days. The Holy Spirit had been poured out, and they still continued. By the way, this isn't between me and people. This is between the Lord Jesus and people. I listen. I have to listen to the Lord as much as you have to listen to the Lord. But we live in a different world and a different age. And I'm telling you, if we keep slipping back to the standards of just, well, that's just not how it is today, then what we'll do is we won't be able to read the Bible and see the results of the Bible. The culture of the Bible was an all-in culture. The culture of the Bible was, hey, everybody, we're going to meet at 6 a.m. tomorrow. And your first thought would be, I'm going to do everything I can do to see if I can be there. And if I can't be there, then... That, that was just the, the thought of the, of the Bible. I'm just talking about the culture of the Bible. It says, they continued steadfastly, verse 23, then fear came on every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Boy, that's, that's strong. And they sold their possessions and goods, divided them among anyone who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I could imagine the Lord saying, boy, that's a church I want to add to because they have the right culture. Instead of trying to add to your own church, why not be the culture that he's called you to be and let the Lord add to that? Somebody say amen. See, everybody wants the results of an all-in culture, but not everybody wants to be the all-in culture. Why? It takes humility. It takes love. It takes losing our, being past our own freedom, getting past our own pride into serving one another and realize that the primary reason you show up to church is not to be fed, but it's to feed someone else. And if you, if you know that you come to church 
to feed someone else and their, their week may be dependent on what you have to say, your smile, your hug, your encouragement, then I tell you, we feel more responsibility to be able to do it. <laughs> it's the truth whether we like it or not. Church results look very different in the book of Acts, but the all-in looked a lot different too. We get out whatever results we put in. High investment equals high reward. With the same measure you use, Jesus said it'll be measured to you. All-in's a tough thing. <laughs> All-in church is a tough thing. Some people have never experienced it and other people have experienced it but have been hurt by the church, hurt by people, hurt by this, hurt by that, and thought, ah, I did that before and I was disappointed. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. Here's the problem. We're all going to miss out if we don't all do it. I'm talking about the culture of the church, the culture of the kingdom. So we, what we do is we end up dating churches. We end up dating churches. In fact, if you want to see if you do that, just go back, take a list. Write down when's the, what's, what's the last five churches you've been at and what's the timeline. You end up dating churches and gatherings to see if they fit me. Does that church fit me? Does that church fit me? Instead of, is the Lord called me there? All in like acts takes faith in the Lord. Not faith in a preacher, not faith in a, in a program or a system. I don't know if I agree with everything. You know, the, I, I've been in a lot of places, but the two churches ago, I was there for 15 years, 16 years. Last church I was at, I was there for 18 years. This church, I plan on being here till I'm gone to be with the Lord. I'm just saying, why? It's not because there's a perfect church. There is no perfect church. But it's wherever the Lord called you. And if he's called you there, jump in and be all in. If he hasn't, go somewhere where you can. Why? Because I think you hurt the current church and you hurt the, the potential that God has in you. Thank you. All in takes faith. Somebody say Amen. But I praise God that that's who we are at Memphis Tabernacle. We're an all-in culture. Somebody say amen. Someone says, I don't serve man. I serve God. But what if God told you to serve man? Oh. Wait a minute. You caught me. Because he did. I don't serve God, I serve man. But what if God told you, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but come together in gatherings and so much the more as you see the day approaching to encourage one another. Well, that's serving God, isn't it? <laughs> it's the Bible. <laughs> uh, I don't serve man. You know, someone even said, I've heard people say this in marriages. I don't serve her. I don't serve him. I serve God. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, He who is married cares about the things of his wife, how he may please his wife. According to the Bible, God has made you responsible, husbands, to care about your wives, how to please her. I just please the Lord. Okay, please the Lord by obeying the word and please your wife. Please your husband. Please the Lord by obeying the word and pleasing your husband. I'm, uh, my point is our serving one another shows how much we love the Lord. It's called freedom. Now, I know that rubs against the grain for a lot of people, but the grain happens to be the flesh sometimes. Wait, I don't serve the church. 
I serve God. I don't serve the church, but the church is God's wife. See, the church is the bride of Christ. I've never met a person who's in love with Jesus who's not in love with his wife. Never met a person. Because I can tell you, the closer I get to Jesus, the closer I get to his bride. God's called us in freedom to serve and love one another. When God works through a church, it requires buy-in. It requires coordination. It requires working together. Just like our bodies need to cooperate, our brains need to work with our bodies, and it requires cooperation. So does the body of Christ. When our bodies work together with the head, it's called coordination, right? People have hand-eye coordination. People have muscle memory that you develop, whether it's in music, whether it's in sports, whether it's in typing. Whatever it is that you do, you'll see that coordination will be developed. It's really a hand-eye coordination that will need to be developed. Coordination and development come through step-by-step building. I remember I was uh, talking with a, uh, a friend of mine. He and his wife, and he said that he was so excited one day, this was a number of years ago, because his baby, uh, he, he said, my baby already pulled up and began to start to walk, but he's never even crawled. This is an intelligent baby. This is so great. And I said, oh, really? Is that, is that good? He said, no, it's not, actually, because we took him to the, the doctors, and the doctor said, if he doesn't develop crawling before he develops pulling up and walking then he'll lose something with the hand-eye coordination. See, you develop coordination little by little. And if your limbs aren't attached to or don't coordinate with your thinking, with your mind, then you don't have good coordination. It's why some guys can't catch or girls can't catch a ball. Others can't shoot a ball. Why? Because they've never developed that hand-eye coordination. It's why some people can't play music because they've never done scales to learn muscle memory on things. And the more you do it, the more you do it without having to think about it. Why? Because your body has come into alignment with your, with the head. Do you know though, that the body of Christ has to come into alignment with the head? And if you don't begin to, to do actions that will develop head to body coordination, then the body will be out of sync with the head. And won't get the results. And we call that person an uncoordinated person. Now, if there actually becomes some type of thing called a stroke, it actually does a severance between the head and the body. And it's called paralysis. What happens? Part of your body isn't, actually isn't working. But do you know there's something called the Pareto Principle? And what it basically says is that 20% does 100% of the work. And that's what churches, that's what companies, that's what organizations, that's what families said. Well, basically, you know the Pareto principle, 20% does 80% of the work. Yeah, that's called paralysis. But an all-in culture not only doesn't have paralysis, every part's working, but every part is coordinated with the head, who's Christ. Are you catching what I'm saying this morning? It's an all-in culture. It's what the Lord really wants in a church, it requires coordination. Can I encourage you with something? I believe that our Sunday, Sunday mornings and our Tuesday evenings are our times that they're very important to the Lord. And it's, time, it, 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 it's very important for us to do everything that we can to come together on those days. 
I'm not saying if you don't come, someone's going to be looking over your shoulder or calling you. Where were you? Where were you, man? No, no, no. I hate pressure. If there's anybody who doesn't like pressure, Tiffany knows. If I'm like running late towards something and she's like, come on, we have to go. And I'm thinking, okay, that's five more minutes. Like I just, I'm going to, it doesn't speed me up. It slows me down. I can't, I don't take that kind of pressure. Do you know, I'm not trying to pressure I'm not trying to pressure anybody. I'm trying to say we do have to be coordinated. And Sundays and Tuesdays are really, really important. So I'm just going to ask you, do everything you can do to be here on Sundays. Do everything you can do to be here on Tuesdays. Of course, things come up. You have vacations. You have family emergencies. You have stuff that you just can't get out of. You have to do. But if you can make it, make it. Why? Because it's an all-in culture. It's part of the all-in culture. When you see that there's a need, like we Cooper Young, well, I have things to do. That's my day that I just, uh, yeah, I understand, but, but, but we only do this a couple times a year. Jump in. Be a part of it. Or at least make an attempt to. Why? It pleases the Lord. And it's part of an all-in culture. Notice, uh, again, we don't come together just for ourselves. We come together to encourage one another. We're talking about all in thinking, all in thinking. I don't like to say that we have the Pareto principle. I like to say we have the Ephesians 4 principle. And I want you to look at this one more scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this. And I'm going somewhere because I'm going to announce something to you in just a minute. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love. See, this is the culture of the New Testament. This is the culture of Memphis Tabernacle. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things who's the head, Christ. How many know Christ is the head of the church? Yeah. It's not David it's not any of our pastors or leaders. It's Christ. He's the head of the church. From whom the whole body joined and knit together. Notice whole body. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You know what that means? It means you supply something to this church that I don't supply. When you're gone, something's missing. By what every joint supplies according to the effective working. Can you say the word effective working? Effective working is really just the Greek word energio. It's where we get the word energy. It means things work. They operate together. The other day, my check engine light came on on my car, and I had to take it in, and they, they put in a plug, and they said, well, let, let's check it out. They put it up on the rack, and they looked, and they said, oh, there was a hose that was loose. We flushed out the hose. We put it back in, and we, uh, and we, and we made it work. Now everything works. We haven't had any check engines. Well, that, just that one little bitty hose affected the whole car. And do you know, just little bitty what you would, might consider you can affect a whole church. Yes, Notice what he says. To the effective working by which, say it with me, every part, would you say it with me, every part, does it share? Can you say it share? Do you know you have a share? Your share is not everything. Your, your share is not 20% of everything. But your share is just a little part. Are you doing your part? Every part does its share, notice, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself of self and love. You're not supposed to just come and get a message to edify. We're supposed to come in edifying. Show up early, edify one another, love one another, pray for one another, care about one another. Why? Because we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Somebody say amen. That's called effective working. Psalm 133 says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Come on, somebody. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the beard, flowing down from Aaron's head. He was the high priest, flowing down to the collar of the priestly robe. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where the Lord commands the blessing. When the church of God is all in, when the church of God is, is in unity, two evident things happen. Number one, there's anointing. 
that comes upon the church. Number two, the commanded blessing of God comes upon the church. That's why I thank God that Memphis Tabernacles like that. Somebody say amen today. Judges 5.2 says, when leaders lead in Israel and when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. See, there are seasons that God calls a church to come together to centralize. There's other seasons where he's called us to spread out and decentralize. It's important to coordinate and listen to what the Lord's saying at every church. In the book of Revelation, it said, let him hear what the Spirit says. Let the, the church hear what the Spirit says to the church. And all seven churches, he told them seven different things that were slightly different. Every, every place. COVID has caused a lot of people to, uh, to divide, to back off, to be on their own, and, def- and to be deceived, I think, really, to think it's just them and God. But it's not what God called us to do. He's called us to come together. Somebody say amen. That's who we are. Many in the workplace, even churches, have become used to living in isolation. But they're not ready to trade it in for coming back together and serving one another. Church, let me tell you, our world is changing at a rapid pace. And God is calling the church to wake up. God's calling the church to come together and be an effective church, an anointed church, a blessed church. Jesus is calling the church to come together. He's calling Memphis Tabernacle to come together. How many would say in your heart, as I'm talking about, some of you may be ticked off when I'm saying this right now, but how many would say you do sense that the Lord is calling us to come together? Amen. Come on, let me see your hand. He's calling us to come together. He's calling us to come together. Listen, over the past couple of months, our leaders have been coming together and praying about what this fall season about is all about. This year is a year where I believe the glory of God is on our church, and we've seen the glory of God begin to and continue to come upon our church. But there are three things that we're coming together on, and number one is community. He's called us to be family. He's called us to be a community, to be a body. Number two is next gen. He's called us to to focus on kids and youth. That is the next generation. That is the now generation. It's the generation that's important to focus on. And number three, he's called us to outreach. Uh, God loves believers, but there are more out there that he wants to be in here. There are more out there this morning that he wants to be in here with family, being loved on, being spoken the word of God to, being prayed for, being ministered to. On September the 12th, just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated, three weeks ago, we celebrated our our three-year anniversary. Thank you for those who are a part of that. We had a combined 10 o'clock service, and then we had a family lunch that was 12. There was something that's so so special about that. But I believe that we're going to use our Sundays and our Tuesdays to begin to flow together in family dynamics, group dynamics, in... um, uh, community dynamics so do your very best to come to those on Sundays beginning in two weeks from today uh, we're going to be combining our service our nine o'clock service and our 11 o'clock service to a 10 o'clock service time this is not to backtrack but this is to come together in unity this is to come together and see what the blessing of the Lord what the hand of the Lord has for us together I love our nine o'clock service and I love our 11 o'clock service but we're going to be coming together to worship together to love one another to care about one another and we're believing that the Lord is going to double the size of our congregation why is the point just to have a big church that's not the point but the point is to get people who don't have a family into a family to be loved by Jesus they may never see Jesus but they do see you and me. And if we can come together and be an all-in culture and love like there's no tomorrow, love people...
Like people could never be loved, love them that way. Be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece and the ministers of Jesus. So in two weeks, we're going to be coming together for a period of time for community, for growth. We're going to be coordinating monthly family lunches to come together and to eat together and to fellowship together. We're also... Again, coming together for growth. We're believing that we're going to fill the sanctuary, the balcony in the sanctuary. We believe we're going to fill the kids. We believe we're going to fill the parking lots. So I apologize up front. You're going to need to come early for a parking space. Why? Because people need to be loved. Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights are nights of prayer. Do everything you can to come to Tuesday nights. If you can't make it, I understand. But come on Tuesday nights. I believe that the Lord has something for you. I would love for our Tuesdays to be as full as our Sunday mornings. Somebody say amen. amen. If you come to Tuesdays especially. I want to challenge you. Come on Tuesdays. If you can't come weekly, come twice a month. Come once a month. Do something to make an attempt to be able to come together on Sundays and Tuesdays. This Tuesday is sisterhood. Ladies in the room, can I get a woo? Come on, ladies in the room, come this Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Men in the room, come this Tuesday night. Why? Because God's called us together as brothers and sisters to run together and to be strong together. This Tuesday, if you can make it, I would love for you to be here. Family lunches and Tuesdays, I believe with the men and the women, are going to be especially great times to invite friends who are unchurched, to invite family who are unchurched, and bring them into community with people who are going to love them. We do have, and I'm going to say this lastly, we do have a challenge with going together at, nine, at 10 o'clock service. We didn't have two different services just because we wanted to have two services. It really allows some people to sit and some people to serve in another service. But now that we have a 10 o'clock service, uh, it does have some challenges. There's many people who are serving in kids and there's many people who are serving outside who cannot attend some of the services because there's only one on Sunday mornings. So because of this, we would love for every person to be open to even once a month serve. Once a month, twice a month, serve in some capacity at church. Be a greeter, be an usher, uh, serve in the kids, serve out in the parking lot. Why? Because then it allows everyone to be able to come in and worship together and love God together because we're an all-in culture. Somebody say amen today. If everyone or most everyone made themselves available for one to two times a month, I believe that we would have a beautiful coordination, a beautiful rotation of people. I'm not asking you for to serve every Sunday unless you want to. But if you'd serve once or twice a month, we'd love for every person to be able to do that. Would you pray with me? In fact, right now, would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me and ask the Lord, Lord, would you make us one? Would you open your hearts, open your hands right now to the Lord? Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Podcast.